Your passcode has been accepted. Welcome to the BMC Managing vSphere Environments with VCO Part 2 webinar. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Stephen Johnson. Please go ahead. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, well, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today in uh, what is the second part of um, yeah, a two-part session in respect to managing vSphere using vSphere E9.5. Um, Please note that uh, this is a, a web-only interaction session today and that any questions uh, should be submitted via the Q&A window and not the chat window for the active session. Um, on, we expect this session to take about an hour uh, and on that note I will hand over initially to Mr. Sudhir Abdur. So, Sudhir? Yep, thanks Ian. So uh, welcome to VMC Capacity Optimization Best Practice Webinar. This is uh, part two of managing vSphere using VCOEE. Uh, I hope that many of you were able to attend or uh, later follow up on the presentation from the part one of this um, webinar. Uh, if you remember, the first webinar was on managing infrastructure capacity with VCO for vSphere environments where you ensure that all workloads have enough resources without wastage. Uh, there we assume that the VMs are sized correctly to meet their SLAs. And now this is a managing vSphere part two, where we concentrate more on workload capacity. How do you ensure that the VM is sized correctly for its workloads demand and for its SLA? So I would like to introduce our speaker, uh, Debbie Sheets. Uh, for many of you, she needs no introduction. Uh, she has 37 years experience developing and supporting capacity and performance analysis software. Uh, she is our senior staff consultant uh, based right here at the Lexington Mass location. Uh, many of you know her from the BDS days, as do I. And she'll be going through some of the uh, intricacies of managing VMs uh, as far as capacity goes on a vSphere environment. She'll be showing you many uh, tools and ways to access the information. Uh, it's important for you to make sure to concentrate on the, on the concepts that she's presenting rather than the tools. Uh, we'd like you to take away from this webinar uh, what are the important things to look at when you're managing a VM. So with that, over to you, Debbie. Thanks. Let's see if I can get the slide to move. Okay, great. So um, as some of you probably already know, um, uh, managing vSphere was actually what I was presenting at the um, International CMG conference um, this year, well, this year as in just, uh, just in November. Uh, but because this is a situation where you're all BMC customers and you already have uh, BCO and uh, for probably most of you BCO EE extended edition, um, I'm actually going to combine what was the original presentation, but I've also added quite a bit in here in addition um, that is specific to how to do this in BCOEE because um, although, as Sudhir says, part of the point of the paper um, is the methodology, uh, and I'm going to be presenting that. The good news is you don't have to, like, say, well, how do I write the code for that <laughs> uh, because, in fact, we've done it already. Uh, and that's one of the advantages you have as a customer. So, so I'm going to be taking, it said, all the theory of it and the methodology, 
Um, and then I'm going to be showing you exactly how to, you know, how you can really do that, what the graphs look like, things like that. Um, so uh, in that sense, this is uh, better than CMG. Um, however, I said again, I'm going to be maintaining all, all the materials. So what I'm going to be doing here is um, the, the subtitle of this original paper was, um, you know, when sort of how is this like uh, evaluating physical server? Is it like evaluating a physical server because it's really a VM, but of course a VM is supposed to look like a physical server, right? So is it the same? Is it different? And of course the answer is uh, some of each, and I'm going to be trying to make that more clear which parts are the same, which parts are not. Um, and, and the thing that, um, again, any of you who know me, the question is what measurements do you need? And I think I have some pretty interesting information on that in terms of what I'm recommending in order to um, completely manage this environment. Um, then again, I'm going to talk a little bit about the methodology in the paper, specifically about virtualization, um, what I call layers, um, metric clusters. I'm going to tell you what all those things are. And a very key thing about uh, application performance is a sum of all of its parts. Uh, application performance is not like a number someplace. It's not something that's green or yellow or red. Um, it's CPU, it's memory, it's I.O., it's network. And, uh, and all of that, you know, running inside a VM. So somehow I'm going to try to, you know, tell you how to take all those things you understand about application performance from a physical server and then translate that into uh, specifically into the vSphere environment. Um, I do have two case studies uh, which are based on uh, actual customer data um, in terms of specifically doing what Sudhir mentioned, which is trying to say, well, is this VM properly sized? Uh, how is this VM being treated by the ESX um, infrastructure? And uh, one thing, again, I want to make sure everybody knows not to panic. Um, uh, the last pages are just links to everything that I'm talking about. Okay, so um, we have uh, support knowledge articles, all the CMG papers. Everything I refer to here is accessible to you. If for some reason you don't see it, just say so and we'll, we'll, we'll find it for you because all of this is available for you as a customer. Okay, so just starting right at the very top here. The whole concept, and again, this is one of these I'm stepping way back. <laughs> okay, this is not about vSphere. Um, the whole concept of doing computer performance analysis and prediction is based on the idea that there are certain cause and effect relationships that you believe apply to the environment you're looking at. Uh, for example, that a high CPU queue means that you're getting bad response time, or that a memory shortage means you're getting degraded response time. If you don't believe those things or you don't understand those things about your virtualization platform, then, you know, it, it's too early to talk about setting thresholds and, you know, making actions uh, um, all based on thresholds. Gee, too soon. Um, but again, I'm going to show you the specifics here of why I believe that that's the case here. And part of how I'm going to be doing that is I'm going to be identifying what I'm calling uh, metric clusters. I don't like the name, but I couldn't come up with something else, which is the idea that when I'm looking at something like a CP, the CPU, I can't just look at utilization. I have to look at the utilization and the queue length, because the queue length is what tells me I'm, I'm getting bad response time. The utilization in and of itself doesn't tell me that. So I need a way to have the two metrics looked at as a group. Same with memory. I'm going to be looking at what the utilization is, but I can't just look at that. I have to see is there pressure on that memory? Am I, oh, do I, am I actually experiencing a memory shortage? I need to see this as a group. I can't just look at this or look at that or look at that. And this is something that I've kind of been coming to for a while, and I think if you are an expert in the field, you, you do this without having called it something before. I, I'm trying to call it something now and, and make it more formal, which is there's, um, you know, I know I am trying to say there isn't a concept of looking at these things in isolation and that, uh, you know, going over one threshold with one of these somehow tells you everything you need to know. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. Uh, and, of course, everything I've said so far applies to physical or virtual servers. You know, I haven't said anything up here about VMware. I didn't need to. So when you deal with virtualization, and again, in this case, let's not uh, worry about just vSphere. We'll do that in a second. But just general um, virtualization uh, concepts is um, you have this idea of what I call layers. Again, I don't have a better word for it. Um, and I'll be showing you examples of this. 
but the whole idea is that the application is still the application. That's the same. That hasn't changed. But how is you know what's between the application and essentially and the and the resources it uses? Um, what kind of measurements are available? In fact, I had a whole paper just um, on this whole concept, which is how do you look at the layers for every different major uh, distributed system virtualization? Um, and I said again, that's documented in the 2008 paper and presentation, which again I have a link for at the back of this presentation. So again, actually diving right into that. What does it mean to be virtualized? It's actually pretty simple, which is in the beginning you had an application with an operating system and that dealt and the operating system touched the hardware. When you're virtualized, you still have an application. You still have an operating system just like before. But this hardware isn't here anymore, right? I mean this stuff isn't quite here. It's 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 made available through the virtualization layer. So you have this virtualization layer between the application and the hardware. I know all of you know this, but it's worth going through the, the basic just to remind everybody. Um, and now uh, going specifically into ESX, what are the most important ESX server components? Um, you probably all know this already, but again, I want to mention it. We need to know about the VM, which is the virtual machine itself, because that's got the operating system and the applications in it. Um, Cluster is a very important concept in, in vSphere, because that's a set of physical hosts. Okay, and it has the following aspect, which is a VM is in fact assigned to a cluster, and the VM runs on a host, okay, because the hosts are owned by the cluster. So, and again, specifically with something like vMotion, which I'm sure many of you do have enabled, it means that the VM can automatically move between the physical hosts within the cluster. The thing that's so important about the host is the host is now our physical server because that's where the hardware resources are actually owned. So that's like CPU, memory disks, and so on. Okay. Here's a little picture to help uh, emphasize this, which is the idea of here's your application running under the operating system just like before. Now we have an ESX VM, which is actually contains these things. The ESX VM then is said again is associated with a cluster. And within the cluster, at any given point in time, the, it's actually associated with an ESX host. And again, at a different interval, it could be on a different ESX host, uh, because if the host is where the resources are, the cluster manages those resources. Um, the other important thing I'm introducing here um, is I, I have numbered the layers. Um, and again, this is what I mean by layers. There's an application layer, operating system layer within the VM, the VM itself, and so on. One, two, three, four, five. The reason I do this is because later when I'm going to show you specific uh, measurements, I'm going to actually label them with what this layer number is so you always know exactly what I'm talking about without me having to you know, state it again and again. Okay, now this is really important and a key to the entire approach that I'm going to be showing here, which is these lower layers, the one and two, which is the application and the operating system. This is the traditional host OS measurement. So again, uh, uh, that would be like Linux or Windows, um, you know, guess. So we're talking about Linux and Windows measurements. And then we have ESX measurements, which cover the cluster, the host, and the VM, which contain the application. This is really important because the, depending on the virtualization, these relationships are not always the same. I'm merely stating how it works for vSphere, which is going to, we're going to have two measurement um, sources, ESX measurements, and host measurements. Okay, now let's. Uh, now we've seen a little bit of the picture of where we're going. Let's start talking about what I call these metric clusters, which is what is it that we need to pay attention to, um, because I'm going to be uh, talking about uh, CPU and memory. And again, all this is, by the way, written in more detail in the paper. So uh, again, I'm going to be giving a link to that at the end. Um, so please feel free to look at that paper if you want to see more background. Um, so again, starting uh, again with talking about the CPU, you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time is these capacity thresholds. So uh, when, specifically when we're talking about CPU, uh, the first question, you know, someone would say if they've never been around performance capacity, they'd say, well, 100 percent is good because that means we're using everything. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a choice. You could set it at 100. And then a bunch of you have done it for a while ago, oh, no, no, you can't do that. And the reason you're saying that is 
Uh, for interactive workloads, we all know that CPU queuing causes poor performance. And this didn't just get invented with vSphere. Uh, this has been going on for a long time. Um, but that's usually w one of the reasons why, depending on the workload you're running, 100% is not going to be the, uh, a good setting. Because that'll be, um, if the CPU's at 100, it's too high. Um, I also would note that for some other workloads, like non-interactive workloads, 100% can be actually exactly what you want. And I have an entire paper um, just just on, on that specific aspect, which is when you have batch window um, elapsed time type of uh, situations. Uh, if the CPU's the constraint, running at 100% can be ab absolutely perfect and the goal. In other words, not running at 100% could be the sign that that application isn't performing well. Uh, so, so that's... Um, Again, here I'm not sort of telling you what the answer is. I'm just telling you there's not like an answer to this question because it, it's definitely workload dependent. Um, if you're dealing with interactive workloads, you also have to worry about the fact that they spike. So, um, you know, when we talk about 100 here, we mean an average of 100%. So you can't, since you can't go over that, you can't spike over 100. So, you know, setting it at an average of 100 means that you have no ability to, to uh, essentially absorb a spike above that. Um, some people I've talked to, they just say, well, our forecasts are crummy, <laughs> so we never, you know, go to whatever people are saying we should. We always uh, head for a number lower than that because, you know, that's, it's just safer. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, when you're doing failover planning, um, you may have uh, additional requirements as to how much capacity you need to leave free uh, to absorb a certain amount of failover. Um, so all of this is, again, Nothing, nothing really new here, just a, a list of things to remember when you're trying to say, well, what's, you know, what would I set my threshold at? But then after you do whatever you're doing here, you need to take into account performance, which is the queue length. So in other words, the queue length would tell you whether at any utilization, and again, I don't care if it's high or low, that um, you know, you're having substantial queuing and therefore degraded performance. So the main point here is that you, due to the queue length, you may find that you need a lower CPU capacity threshold than all of this produces. And the other really important thing, and again, this is really the most important thing, is anytime you're looking at the CPU, you have to look at the capacity utilization and the queue length, not one or the other, always both together. Now, memory is actually the same but different. That's always my theme, right? Same but different. So you try to take what you understand and then, uh, you know, build from there. So in terms of the general discussion of it, it's um, sort of similar to the CPU, but the metrics in this case, and again, we're just talking about specifically how distributed systems work. Um, what's difficult about the metrics is that memory is used in a different way than CPU. CPU is used just when you need it. Memory you hold usually all the time, including while you're using CPU, while you're doing I.O., while you're doing whatever. But the point is, is that you have to hold it all the time. So when you look at memory utilization, you're not going to, typically you don't see the same kind of spikiness that you might see in CPU because, you, because the program is running for a longer time, holds the memory for a longer time, and then intermittently uses CPU or I.O. Um, so that's one thing is that it's, um, you know, held for a long time. The other thing is that, um, again, depending on exactly what you're looking at, and again, I'll show you more details of this a little later, um, memory utilization includes things in addition to the workload. It's not just the workload. It's the, you know, the operating system. If you have, uh, you know, file system cache, that has to be in there. Free memory obviously isn't used, but all these things are, you know, are a result in what the memory utilization looks like. So um, you don't see, and again, this is usually about the thing you discover on the second week when you're doing capacity planning and distributed, is you see the CPU go up and down, but the memory doesn't go up and down. It's more or less, uh, you know, almost a flat line. Um, so it's not as simple to interpret, although I'm going to show you how I think you can actually do a pretty good job. Um, I will show that in a little bit. Um, but similar to CPU, I'm going to make the same argument that we need capacity usage as well as performance warning metrics. Um, again, the actual specific metrics do differ by operating system. There's not like sort of a one way to look at things. It depends on the specific operating system. 
So the way that I look at memory now is I say, well, I want to know what the utilization is. I want to see if there's any pressure on the memory, in other words, um, impending men memory problems or just the beginning of them. And I also want to be able to identify, identify specific memory shortages. So again, when I talk about memory, I'm looking at all three things at the same time, not one or the other, not a single threshold on any of these. Now, um, here I have a lot of definitions, and I really don't want to read them because I've got a, lots more interesting stuff to do. Um, the good thing is that these things are um, you know, part of the products. Um, it's perfectly fine for you to, to read them all, but um, you don't have to write any code, so um, this is not as important uh, for you as it is for people at CMG. The only thing I would say it's a little different than that is the CPU queue length. Um, you would not have heard of this before because it was something that um, I developed um, as part of doing vSphere analysis. Um, it's based on CPU ready time, um, which is what VMware tells you to look at, um, but I have changed it into a classic capacity planning queue length, um, which I find easier to work with. Uh, the derivation of that is covered in the CMG 2010 paper, and again, I'll be showing you specific examples of using this. Um, a, a little bit later. Okay, so that one, so that one's a little bit interesting. The other ones are, you know, kind of the metrics that you expect them to be. Another thing I'll talk about in more detail is um, when we get to ESX, when we're doing memory capacity utilization metrics, we're going to be looking at both consumed and active. Again, I'll show that by example rather than um, discussing that um, in detail here. Um, again, I think all of this, as I said, this is nice, uh, you know, methodology writing, but I'm going to be showing it to you. Um, again, we'll also be looking at memory pressure metrics like ballooning and scanning. Again, I'm going to show you all this through examples. And to tell when you're actually having a memory shortage, again, I'm going to be looking at for ESX swapping and paging, um, you know, swap, memory that has been swapped. And then in terms of the individual guests, I'm going to be looking at paging and virtual memory utilization. Again, I'll show you examples of all of these. But again, this has got it all written down. Okay, so now let's get to the kind of the, the meat of this, which is what I wanted to talk about here is how do you know if your application is okay? Your VM is not an application. It runs your applications for you. But you don't have insight from the ESX side as to what's going on inside the VM. All we can see is what ESX uh, sees it as kind of a lump. You know, it, it uses memory, it had, does CPU, but you can't see inside it to see why is it doing it, what are its demands, and what's happening inside. So this is really the key thing, and again, this is a kind of classic performance um, and capacity understanding here, which is that for an application, there's two parts. There's the demand, okay, the, demand, the resource demand for an application is a function of the workload volume, in other words, how many transactions do you need to do? That usually varies by the time of the day or the day of the week or the time of the year. You know, if you're, you know, you have a retail business where it's all Christmas, right, um, it's going to matter exactly, uh, you know, December may be the biggest thing, or I guess you start in uh, November now, right? So <laughs> November and December would be the time of the year that you would do all of your, your planning based on, um, you know, what goes on the rest of the time you might not even care about. Um, so that's really important is understanding the um, workload volume pattern in terms of what, what does drive the workload volume. And then when you know how many transactions, then you need to know how much each transaction uses, or what I call the workload resource profile. So in other words, a transaction requires a certain amount of CPU, a certain amount of memory, a certain amount of my O and network per transaction. So you have workload volume, and then this is what you know, your workload, again, in terms of an individual transaction looks like. Okay, so when you look at application performance, what you're looking at is what's the resource demand plus how much queuing is there, how much waiting is there. Okay, and in terms of, again, classical analytic modeling, the, the, the definition here is, that, again, when you have workload volume uh, times the workload resource profile, that's this up here, is what we call service time, because again, this is the minimum amount of time it would take to run that application in a perfect environment. So again, exactly how much CPU you need, how much I.O. network, okay? 
However, if there's other transactions around and a shortage of resource, you're going to have the problem that you, you know what you want, but you can't get it because somebody else is in your way. So again, that's when you get what we call wait time. That's the you know, uh, sort of official term from a queuing network model um, view, or queuing delay. Yeah, both of those things mean the same time. So again, the key thing here is that when you're looking at performance, Okay, you need to know how much you need and then how long you had to wait to get it. That total is your response time. So response time is your service. So again, sitting, actually using the resources plus any time waiting. So that's what we need in the end to say how our application is running. And again, as you probably know, that's not something you're going to be seeing. Uh, you're not going to be seeing that from ESX. So. What do you need to do to do this? Well, here's where we get to the fun part, because this is where we're actually going to apply what we know specifically to some situations that I had uh, you know, customers sent in these questions, and we answered them. Um, so the key thing about these things is that at some level, this methodology is really very general, and I want uh, people who are dealing with uh, you know other virtualizations like AIX to realize that you know a lot of what I'm saying here is just as applicable to AIX as it is to ESX. Okay, but in the specific case studies, I'm actually going to be showing uh, VMware vSphere um, case studies. Specifically, uh, we're going to be looking at Linux guests, and specifically in both of these, we're going to be looking at memory. Okay, so these these are the examples, but again, the methodology is covers CPU and memory, and again, in theory, you could apply it to any virtualization platform. I'm just showing you how to do it for vSphere. Um, and again, what I've added on that wasn't in the original CMG presentation is how do you actually do this? Hey, you know, what is this? Uh, how do you actually look at this? Okay, so um, again, this is actually um, what we started with in part one, which is sort of how to get a hold of these measurements uh, for BCOEE. And again, there's two important um, sections here. One is that you would be using uh, the BPAV Center Proxy Collection. Okay, so this specifically deals with getting the VMs. Uh, you actually get the pool, the host, the cluster, the data source, all those things that um, characterize your ESX environment. And then also using BPA um, uh, locally installed collectors for Linux or proxy or local collection for Windows. This is where we say, what does it look like inside this guest? What processes are running? What commands are running? How are the file systems look? What are, what's happening on the logical disks? All that detailed stuff, which I said, again, you can't get from here. Okay, and, and, and I have an even more detailed diagram here. Again, this is the uh, uh, same diagram that we started with in part one, but I've now done it specifically for um, looking at BCOEE. So here's um, the BCO um, console and, and services up here. And what I'm talking about in my presentation here is specifically the BCO EE part, which is, again, the vCenter collector, um, the, regular, the regular collectors for Linux or Windows to get your inside the guest measurements. These are going in through manager um, and uh, specifically analyze. Analyze is making model files, which could be used for detailed modeling, what ifs, and predict. Uh, Viz files can go to the Visualizer database, or they can be sent up to the Viz parser to BCO as well. So again, this, uh, this data flow can uh, populate anything you want in BCO, as well as um, be used for the BPA Visualizer database. The Visualizer database also has Visualizer um, graphical client, which has, again, out-of-the-box views I'll be showing for ESX and the guests. And then Perceiver um, is another um, web-based uh, graphical client where you can, again, get a lot of out-of-the-box views for the ESX and the guests. And also, it hosts uh, what's called the virtualization planning component, which allows you to do what-if scenarios um, on a web-based planning tool versus uh, the PREDICT, which is the detailed queuing network model. Again, this is just a short view, but key thing is we're going to be talking about this part here, but it said, again, um, when Sudhir did part one, he was talking about this part here. You can still have all of this information go to BCO, and you can use all the same things that you saw in BCO um, in part one as well. 
So I'm just showing you how to do even more. Okay, so now for the first case study. Um, we're looking at a situation here. Um, we're looking at a couple clusters. We're trying to understand, again, what's going on with the memory. And specifically in this particular case for this customer, they were trying to figure out um, basically how, what their memory capacity was, how they could decide, um, you know, how to use the memory capacity they had um, potentially even better than they were. So just to get started here, and again, notice here's our, uh, we're talking about ESX cluster right now, so we're at the very top of the ESX hierarchy. Uh, that's our layer five. Um, here's where I want to get into a little bit of the interesting things in metrics for um, ESX, which is consumed in active memory. So as soon as, again, you find out that uh, there's uh, the two, the first question you're going to ask is, well, which one should I use? Which one's right? So it actually ends up that the answer is um, both of them are useful, and neither of them are probably completely useful, but it's what you have. That's a theme, by the way, in distributed systems, is you have to work with, you get the best data possible from every platform, then you have to work with what you have. It may not be perfect, um, and that's just how it is. So this is uh, one of those situations. So you have active and, active and consumed. Uh, consumed a lot of times is pretty much the same size as configured, so it doesn't really always offer even a, something that's different than what you originally configured for the, for the VMs. Um, active is usually much, much smaller than consumed. Uh, so again, you would say that it's, uh, you know, probably, well, how do you say it? Optimistic? Optimistic. So, uh, so consumed tends to be like overly conservative. Active memory is often kind of overly aggressive in terms of using that as the characteristic size. So just to show the example, an example here, I've got two clusters um, where I'm projecting how many more VMs I could run depending on which metric I use. So if I use active memory as my basis for capacity planning, I find out that I can run about 750 more VMs on one of the clusters and about 250 more on the other. If I base it on consumed, which is much more conservative, I would say, oh, on the same cluster, I can only run 100 more instead of 750, and only 15 more VMs on the cluster as currently configured. So you can see there's really a huge difference. And in fact, I put this in a table because this customer said, oh, I have a third way to do it. The way I want to do it is I want to use active as my basis, but I want to add 70% on top of active, and I think that that's the sweet spot. Um, so in this case, if I look at, again, the, the how many more VMs could I run, depending on what I use, again, if I use consumed, you see I'm only, again, dealing with getting about 100, 100 more VMs on this cluster, another 14 here. Again, with active memory, I'm, I, I would say you could fit a lot more, but with the customer's methodology, which is saying active plus 70 and using an aggressive memory utilization th threshold, I'd say I can run, you know, 1,600, 2,000 more. So the main thing here is I'm not going to try to say that, um, you know, there's a right and a wrong here, but my point is, is you can take three reasonable suggestions and it's like really matters which one that you pick. <laughs> Okay, and if you want to be really careful, the answer is, is you pick out consumed, okay? And this customer here saying, oh, you know, we think that this consumed stuff, we don't really need that much. We really can uh, stand to put a lot less memory with each of these. Um, again, we'll just do active plus 70%. So that's what this customer believes, so that's what they went ahead and did. Okay, so in fact, what they did here was they looked at what the active memory was for this particular VM. They saw that it's mostly, you know, it's just getting up into the one gig range. Okay, so they decided that instead of using the 16 gigabytes that it used to have, they're actually going to reconfigure the VM itself to be only four gig, because then that way that 12 gig, you know, ESX never even has to manage it. So again, basically what the customer's philosophy is here is, I'm not going to let ESX manage it, I'm going to manage it myself and see, you know, how much money I can save. So what's interesting here is um, from an ESX perspective, there's really not much to see because 
there was no paging before. There's no ballooning. There's no swapping. Um, there's no nothing. So you'd say, oh, that was a good idea, wasn't it? Think about that. I got this 12 gig. I'm never going to see it again. I've gotten rid of it. I have no demand for this. And, in fact, the only thing that I see from an ESX perspective that I see changing is I do see the consumed memories running at around 100%. Um, and, again, we're going a little ahead in the story. But uh, when we put it back to 16 gig uh, gigabytes, um, you'll see why in a moment, um, the consumed memory actually drops to about 50. But, again, the key thing here is the ESX perspective, if anything, we've made less demand on ESX than before. So it, there's no problem seen by ESX. There wasn't before and there isn't now. However, now, this is the really important thing. Now I'm going to look and say, what does Linux see? This is where the application is actually running. What does Linux see here? And the answer is a uh, memory crisis. Okay, so like here's physical memory utilization. It was running very, very, very close to 100. And even more importantly, remember I talked about metric clusters, you've got to look at everything. So you'd say, well, you know, is memory utilization being high inherently bad? Well, it, it isn't always, but it's paging. It's paging all the time, paging all the time until we put the, reconfigure the memory back to the original 16 gigabytes. We also looked at the virtual memory utilization. That, when it gets to 100, that's it. The feet go up in the air. That's the end of the VM. And that's what happened in real life. Okay, so in other words, because the memory got so squeezed on the application, it started having to page everything out, and it actually ran out of space to even page stuff out. Um, and again, it wasn't until the memory got restored that it re re returned to a reasonable situation. And this is what's, again, very, very important here is, so how can you tell this? Again, this is our metric cluster idea. What's really important, what you can, how you can tell that things have gone wrong here is the process memory. When process memory is almost everything, okay, what that means is there's like no space for, or very little space for things like file system cache. And if you see at the same time you're paging, again, this is this cluster idea. We have to look at all of them. That means it was bad. Guaranteed. So we see that the process memory gets very large, and we see this paging at the same time, and the virtual memory utilization was high, and the physical memory utilization was high. So part of my point here is it's not one of them that is the nail, but together there's no question. This was an awful idea. The application absolutely has tanked. Nothing is running. The thing literally had to be rebooted and have the memory restored to being the 16 gigabytes. Okay, so I think you can sort of see where this is going, which is the, the main thing is you can't just resize a VM. You can't say, well, I think it needs less just because it's, I don't see it using it now. Okay, it's just not that simple. Um, and, and again, in this case, there was plenty of, uh, you know, there was plenty of spare memory and whatever, but the customer had decided to reconfigure themselves. Uh, so the key thing is that you need to be monitoring these guests after you right-size them. This is really, really important um, because it said ESX doesn't tell you you have a problem. You didn't have a problem with ESX. You had a problem with the guest. And again, what I'm going to show you now is exactly how to do this. Um, and uh, and it said if you are if anybody's reconfiguring guests for any reason, you cannot skip. Um, seeing whether you've caused damage, because it said looking at vSphere is not enough uh, to tell you that you've caused damage, because you have done it, and you, in fact, uh, don't know if you're looking at ESX because you don't see any problems. So again, here's our, again, this is the part that wasn't, wasn't at the CMG presentation, because you can't show any products, so now I can. And again, what I just want to summarize here is if you know what the metrics are, which, of course, we've uh, conveniently gathered for you, um, you can absolutely see these things very easily. Um, I'm showing here um, the Visualizer Graphics Client as an example. A uh, key thing here is I'm looking, I would be looking at either detailed measurements or what I call short-term summaries, like in this case I'm looking at the daily peak for these metrics. Um, I ha you can be looking at individual metrics, which I already showed, or in this case using hierarchies. I think I love these hierarchies. That's why uh, they're here. 
So this is a great example where by just clicking on, you know, OS virtual memory, I can now see the, the guest that was in trouble because, see, he turns red. You can see the problem occurring until he got rebooted. Okay, so I instantly know that I have a problem here and I need to look into it. All the metrics that I'm recommending, they're all here. So you just click from one to the other. You can see by the color of the heat map, you can see where you have problems. And again, in this case, the answer is the application is not okay, um, even though ESX says everything is fine. Um, another example, again, you look at the ESX paging. There's none. Everything is zero. Absolutely everything zero. No memory pressure at all. That's because we reduce memory demand by squashing the guest. Whereas, again, can you see this guest? I think even, uh, again, you don't need to be able to read the detail on this right now. You can see the guest that's in trouble. Cause see, he turns colors because I'm looking at his paging, and he's paging consistently until the memory gets reconfigured. So, again, ESX picture, everything is great. Inside the guest picture, you can see exactly that that one guest is in big, big trouble. You can do very similar things with Perceiver. Again, here I'm showing an example of using a ranking table, uh, putting both the CPU and memory um, characteristics that I think are important um, in here, and, uh, um, and then sorting by the, the uh, you know, relative ranking of this one. Our guest that we've been studying that's in trouble is right at the top of the table. It shows his process memory is too big, he's paging, he's got you know, high virtual memory. And again, the key is that you're using 95th percentile or peak measurements for short-term periods. In other words, in this case, since the guest had just be, been reconfigured, we would be looking at the week uh, since the guest had been reconfigured. Because if we looked at it over you know, a month or so, it wouldn't have a problem. The problem's recent because it was just caused by the reconfiguration. And again, I have a, a link to exactly how to set these up. So again, if you're interested, it's easy to do. Um, we also, of course, have the individual metrics in Perceiver, which you're already familiar with, where you can see the virtual memory use going to 100% and dropping after reconfiguration. You can see the physical memory use. These are the very same graphs I showed you earlier um, in the presentation. These are the metric by metric graphs versus using a ranking table or a hierarchy where you're looking at all of the, the relevant metrics at the same time. Okay, the second case study, this one's actually quite a bit shorter because we've actually learned almost enough to do this one uh, uh, already, which is um, the, the customer asks the question of, well, I see changes happening in vCenter with the memory. So how do I know if, there's, if, if it's okay or not? Um, is there an ESX capacity shortfall or, or uh, you know, like what's going on here? So this is an example of something where we're looking at the many different measurements for a VM of memory. And the key thing here is that what we're able to see is that, you know, like this red, the balloon, the balloon is coming up and down, okay? And that's, you know, like essentially inversely correlated with how much, the, how much memory the application is allowed to have. So some periods it's allowed to have a lot, other periods it's not allowed to have much at all. And the other important thing to see here is the VM used, which is the, the concept of active. You can see this is a daily pattern here. You can see it's using about the same every day, but things like how, how much um, ESX is letting it have is really varying and it's going up and down. So the question is, if you see all these shifts, what does that mean? And again, here's an additional uh, drill down into the same things. Again, what we can see is here's the, the actual usage, but we can see that there are periods where ballooning increases and then the granted um, goes down. And then when the ballooning goes down, then the granted goes up. So again, the question is, with all this stuff going on, why is it going on and is it hurting the application? Uh, so here's the good news is now we go, again, back down inside, layer one, okay? So all the way down at the bottom, we're looking at exactly which processes are running each day. And we can see that the daily pattern is being maintained, which is good because that means that it hasn't been squashed and kept from running. So we see that's maintaining. And also the other thing that's nice is when we look at the memory, we can also see the memory is exactly correlated with the CPU uh, in its daily cycle. So when you look at that, you go, well, that looks pretty good. So that's my first check is uh, the workload appears to be running okay. 
And now it's time to do the kind of screening things I talked about before, which is what do I see for pressure and shortage? Paging and scanning, zero. Virtual memory utilization is very low. This is the opposite of our first case study. So we see things changing. In fact, we see the process memory increasing and decreasing, which potentially could be a problem. That's what happened in the first case study. But here, we look at the, the rest of the metrics in the metric cluster, and they're all zeros are very low. So we do not have a problem here. But why is all that shifting going on? So now it's time to look at the ESX infrastructure. So here we look at the ESX host, and we look at the memory utilization, and whoa, this is a boring graph, huh? 93% all the time. You know, most people consider something like 80, uh, kind of a reasonable threshold, so it's clearly over that. So again, now we want to check the rest of the metrics for the host to see what it looks like. Okay, so we check for the pressure and shortage. So pressure, ballooning. There's ballooning all the time. Look for swapped memory. There's some swapped memory all the time. And then also the movement of pages back and forth. We're seeing that all the time. So from a metric cluster viewpoint we have, we have the high memory utilization, and we have consistent ballooning, swapping, um, and pages swapped. So we see all of that for the host. So we actually can conclude at this point that we actually have a host problem, an actual resource shortage problem. Um, the other interesting thing that we uh, found out looking um, at this is that this particular cluster has um, actually only about 70% memory capacity used for the cluster as a whole. So the fact that this one's 93% means there's a, a, a pretty severe imbalance. And the question would be, why is that? Um, as I point out here, I didn't actually have the data for the other host, so I couldn't actually finish this analysis. But that would be where you would go and say, if the cluster is 70%, why is this host 93? Um, are there specific VMs that could be moved off to other hosts? Um, you know, DRS was, um, it was DRS enabled, so you know, in theory it should have been moving things. Why is that not happening? Or do you need a memory upgrade? But this is a case where there's a definite ESX resource shortage that needs to be acted on. Um, but at this moment, the application was running fine. So another uh, thing I wanted to mention is one way to see this happening, another way is an important uh, what I call derived metric, which is looking at the ratio of active to consume. Now, it said active is that kind of optimistic uh, you know, core memory that I'm using versus consumed, which is kind of more what I could use. So what I found is as the ratio of active to consumed rises, that kind of that that's a very, very good indicator of memory pressure. So if we look at this graph here where I'm actually looking at um, my individual VM, I'm looking at the average for the host and the average for the cluster, what I can see is that the memory pressure at the host and cluster level is generally going up. You can see it's you know kind of rolling up. It's not going up very fast, but it is going up. But when you look at our VM, the one we were concerned about, his ratio of active to consumed is much higher than the average. So our VM and its experience is much worse than the average. So one of the important things to um, understand from this is you can't just look at averages. Averages are useful here because it gives you an overall idea. But is my VM average? No. Does my VM care about the average? No. It cares about how its applications are running. It's trying to service its applications. So it's very, very important in this kind of analysis to be looking at the VMs that are doing something and not the VMs that are doing nothing. Because the ones that are doing nothing, we don't care about, not for now anyway, because they're not running anything. So in fact, if we look at individual VMs, and again, it doesn't matter what the individual values are, the key thing is that the VMs that are doing something, almost all of them are worse than average because they're actually doing something. So this is a good example of something where both of the, all these metrics are useful, but you have to be careful about how you use overall metrics because I said they give you a general trend, but they may not tell you specifically what's happening at your individual VM. So again, here's another way to look at this from a BCOEE perspective, same idea as before which is here what I've done is I've taken a hierarchy. I'm, work, again, using daily peaks, okay, daily peak values. And when I w look at the VM ratio of active to consumed, 
you can see this guest stand out, right? Because, again, with a heat map, there's only one guest with red, okay? And guess which one it is. It's the one we were looking at. So you can immediately see which ones, uh, which guests are having that kind of a, a memory pressure just by looking at the colors. And then if I then look at, um, again, looking at the, the memory, again, this is the same stuff you saw before. I'm just showing you a specific implementation method. Again, when I look at the inside paging here, this is the good case where there is no inside paging. Linux is fine. There's no paging going on. There's no memory shortage of any sort. However, when I look at the ESX side, okay, so I'm looking specifically here at the cluster host and VM, the ESX, I can see that there's paging occurring all the time. So this is what allows me to tell which part has the problem. Is it the inside the guest has the problem? And if so, is it because of a lack of resources out here? Or, you know, I can tell which one I've got now. So here I know that the application is fine, but the actual um, host is not fine. And in fact, um, the fact the application has survived this long is a credit to ESX that it's managing 93% member utilization this well. But I said, if I were you, I wouldn't be leaving it at 93% because it's just a matter of time before it's going to, you know, go over the edge and all the applications are going to be suffering. Um, same idea with Perceiver, again, showing the ranking table where um, we're looking at um, ballooning, swapping, again, all the metrics that I think you should look at, so pressure, shortage, and capacity usage all together. And again, using the ranking table is a really good way, just like with the hierarchy, that you can screen instantly many, many different entities and see which ones you should be looking into because they potentially are showing you a problem. Um, Again, same idea here that I have uh, the idea of looking at the cluster. And again, you can see that this cluster has, um, again, it's uh, just over 70%. It is uh, showing ballooning happening consistently. Um, if I then also do screening on the host, I can see the high host memory utilization. Again, the whole idea here behind the ranking tables and the hierarchy is to do a general screening across things where you, you know, someone hasn't called you and said, please look at this. The question is, what should you be looking at? Which things are potentially having a problem so that they need to be um, investigated? Um, and then said, it, when you, it's time to do a drill down, just like I had showed earlier with the Visualizer Graphics client, all these individual metrics like swapping rate per VM or active um, consumed, all these uh, details, they're all in here. Um, but it said, usually the problem when you have a large environment is, is you don't start with the details. You need to start higher up so that you know which things you need to know more about. So again, it's drilling down, not drilling up. So again, the methodology um, part of the paper is showing you the individual metrics. But in real life, you need, um, you know, you need a screening mechanism to know which things to look at so that you know, um, you know, you know that you should be looking at that host versus all the other hosts that are, that are running fine. Okay, and um, of course you can look at the same details for, um, you know, by process, um, memory by process, all this detail stuff. This is how you can tell what's actually going on with the workload in the application. And again, ESX has no information about this at all. So that's why you really want to have both data sources together um, so that you can look at the relevant parts of each. So the, you know, the conclusion here is virtualization is great for the application, right? Because <laughs> it doesn't kind of know that anything's gone wrong, but it's not so easy for you. Um, so it ends up that the things that we're looking at here, you have to look at more than you used to. When you had a physical server, everything you needed was in one place. The application, the operating system, the physical resources, they were all you know, kind of in one place. So you only needed one set of measurements. You didn't have to worry that, uh, you know, it might be bad lower down because it's, um, you know, bad higher up. So in other words, that's the problem when you're inside the guest. If you have a problem, you don't necessarily know why you have the problem. All you can do is show that you have a problem. Then you need to go consult the infrastructure measurements to figure out whether the problem is that the guest is sized wrong, which was the first case study or that you're actually having a problem in the infrastructure, which is what happened in the se second um, case study. So again, the key thing is these metric clusters. You need to use the metric clusters, and you need to look across the layers. There's no, there's no like magic bullet of one number that tells you everything. 
Um, if you get anything from this, I want you to get that, that there's not a number in one place that tells you what's going on. You need it all because it depends on what you see at one layer, which other layers you're going to go look at. Um, I've already covered all these metrics, and again, the good news is we've calculated them all for you, and they're all just sitting there waiting for you to, to, to use them. Um, I think I've actually covered most of this. So again, the important thing here is, again, understanding that because you have layers, something that's high in one place could be high or low because of something happening in another layer. That's why you cannot look at layers uh, in total isolation. Um, because things could be interacting, and if you miss the interaction, you don't know where it is that you need to, um, you know, that, fix the constraint. Um, and I think I've talked enough about metric clusters. Um, yeah, and again, I think, again, the, hopefully you saw the example before. Averages and summarizations can be very useful, but also remember they can obscure exactly what you need to see. So in other words, what you care about is the application and the VM. If you, you know, if it's not okay in there, then the answer is we're going to have to, you know, look up above to figure out whether we have a problem with resources that ESX needs to solve or a problem of how the VM itself is configured. Um, and always remember, averages include usually active and non-active VMs. The active VMs are the ones running the applications. Those are the ones to look at. Um, in terms of actually doing thresholds, I recommend thresholding only the hardware resource layer, in other words, for actually an actionable threshold. So what I'm saying is if you're out of memory on the ESX host, you gotta have, you have, you're going to have to solve that problem. If you see that you have a problem with, ESX, uh, with the VM itself, you know, you're going to have to look at all the layers to decide whether, in fact, the problem is you need to reconfigure the VM or you had a problem up above an ESX. Um, so again, the higher layers are still important because you're going to be able to see overall, um, you know, overall trends, overall capacity. All those things are still important. I'm not trying to say you can never look at that, but I'm just saying if you want to know exactly what's happening on the performance, those overall averages, a lot of times you'll actually miss what's going on um, unless there's something dramatically wrong with a lot of EMs at the same time. Um, for the purposes of, uh, again, I'm sure some of you have these questions, I wanted to give you exactly um, which um, releases were used um, to produce these results. Uh, the, and uh, I, I'm sure you'll notice some of these numbers are uh, kind of old. So uh, this is actually mostly done um, with a 7.5.10 release. Uh, so that's, again, both the manager. Uh, the data collection was also 7.5.10. Uh, the visualizer was um, 4207, which is, uh, which is current. Um, Automator 4206 is actually an older release. Perceiver 9.0. It's important to understand that some of these are in limited support, but I want to make the point that technically you can do what I showed. I was not showing any future releases. In fact, if anything, I was showing mostly older things. So again, this is something you can do today. Uh, there's nothing limiting you from uh, getting these results today. You do not need to upgrade to new anything for this. Um, as promised, I have all kinds of links to all the papers I referred to. So the CMG papers, 2008, 9, 10, and this year, um, 13. And then also the knowledge articles, okay, which will show you how to get the latest visualizer graphics, which I showed, um, you know, more about active and consumed. Um, more about inside and outside measurements, uh, thresholds, um, and also the, I promise uh, to show you how to do the stuff in Perceiver. I actually have a knowledge article that specifically shows you uh, how to do the setup of those um, Perceiver ranking tables, which again, you can do that today. It doesn't require a new release or an update. So I think, yes, that's, uh, that's what we have um, for today. I thank you very much for your time. I love questions, you all know that, but I can't answer them uh, in this format. Um, and I'm sure people have been putting them uh, you know, in the Q&A, and that would be uh, great because I'll look forward to answering them there. Okay, thank you, uh, Debbie, for that.
presentation today. Um, just to let everybody know, this session has been recorded. If you want, this session has been recorded. Uh, details will be posted to the BMC Capacity Management Communities page uh, in a couple of days, probably, uh, once all the details have been finalised. And uh, so, if there's anybody uh, who wasn't able to um, see the whole session or um, you know, needs to pass details on to colleagues who may wish to uh, take advantage of reviewing the session, then that information will, say, will be on the BMT Communities page for capacity optimization um, probably a little bit later this week. Uh, on that basis, I think we can sort of conclude the session today. So again, thank you, Debbie, for uh, the presentation, and thanks to everybody for attending. And uh, on, on that note, uh, Cherry, if you're uh, available, we can sort of close this session. Thank you. Once again, that does conclude today's conference. Thank you for your participation.